It's the 10th of January, 1547. Prince Edward sits at his desk, writing a letter to his father. On the 28th of January, King Henry VIII dies. On the 20th of February, Prince Edward becomes King Edward VI, King of England and Lord of Ireland. He is nine at the time. On the 6th of July, 1553, King Edward VI dies, possibly of tuberculosis, possibly of bronchopneumonia. His reign begins and ends in tumult. It begins as it means to go on. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Even before Henry VIII dies, two of his principal advisors, his privy councillors, are already plotting on how they can basically assert power. They are trying to... Once he's dead, to be clear. Yeah. They're they're not plotting to run a coup d'etat on a dying man. But no, they're plotting to run a coup d'etat on a dying man's son. Infant son. <laughs> the two candidates for this uh, tragedy, Shakespearean tragedy, are Edward Seymour, the Earl of Hertford, and William Paget, the principal private secretary for Henry VIII, the inverted commas master of practices. Yes. <laughs> so these are both interesting characters, and they will crop up. Uh, plenty in our story but it's worth making the point at this point though that particularly with edward seymour uh, he is a man accustomed to power he is the eldest brother of uh, queen jane seymour the third wife of henry the eighth and therefore prince edward's uncle mm-hmm. and so anyway uh, to be clear the plotting they are doing is not of a military nature or organising rebellion, it is more insidious than that. The will stipulates that in Edward's minority, as in before he is the age of eight, before he becomes 18, um, the regents will be... Six, there will be 16 regents, there will be 12 men of council, and all 16 regents will be in, of equal power. Of equal fare and proportion to each Indeed. other. To govern for the will of the people. It does not appoint an individual region above the others. Uh, Although they do within a few days. Yes, indeed. And this is what Paget and Seymour are having a conversation about. Paget is backing Seymour for that role, for the role of Lord Protector. And Paget is a bit of a political survivor in this. He, he has form. Um, he manages to talk his way out of rebelling against Mary uh, later on after Edward's dead um, and he retires from public life rather than deal with the Elizabethan (laughs) era Indeed all of these councillors, almost all of them, are new men, self-made to a certain extent, they are often of the gentry um, not of an old noble house I think there is one member of the 16 who is of any kind of noble stock and I think that might be the Earl of Arundel Oh, it's worth pointing out at this point as well um, we're talking about them as gentry but uh, as you'll see later um, even if they're self-made gentry um, they are part of a privileged upper class at this point a minority that is not a popular one not at all Yes. These are the villains, and uh, and and their their ac- and, and the actions of their class will come into uh, into the fore later in, in later revolts. Um, but yeah, back back to the conversation. So uh, before this happens, uh, Seymour 
and Paget having this conversation. Paget is backing Seymour. Uh, and the reason Paget is backing Seymour is because Paget can see the way the wind is blowing. He knows that Seymour's on the will. Um, and uh, he knows Seymour's ambitions. Seymour, on the other hand, knows what he wants. And uh, with Paget's support, uh, he can manipulate the council to get it. Yeah, and I think... Uh, and I mean, he's successful in that. Within a few days of uh, Henry's death, incidentally, which is heavily concealed, successfully. Um, Indeed. Um, in fact, at one point, uh, uh, both uh, Paget and Seymour uh, conspire together to delay announcement until arrangements can be made. It may have been they were making some small alterations to the will. They claim to be doing it to spare the new king's feelings. It's definitely they definitely conceal they 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 keep the will to themselves as long as possible, and it is it is thought they did not uh, tell the rest of the regents the whole will, even if they didn't alter it. And we should be clear as well: um, this conversation is the culmination of several months of efforts. Not only is Henry's will likely altered or manipulated by Paget and uh, uh, Seymour, um, and in favour, in general, of the reformist faction that is already beginning to brew in this uh, council of gentry, um, multiple people who would perhaps steer Henry's course in another direction uh, are denied access to him towards the end of his life. Mm -hmm. People like Sir Thomas Howard... Uh, and Stephen Gardiner, mm-hmm. um, both who, religious conservatives compared to the Protestant reformant faction, reformist faction within the Privy Council, indeed. Uh, which, to be f- brutally honest, it's not clear whether Seymour actually belongs. Seymour actually belongs to that faction. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's. I don't think it, it's his, his Protestantism is seems quite. I pragmatic. think we can question the, the religion of a lot of these, well, a certain number of these councillors. Uh, Dudley as well um, claims later on that he was willing to sacrifice much for his religion, but we don't really see him do that, and nor do we see Seymour I mean, do that. Um, this is somewhat understandable. King Henry VIII has just brought about a period of extreme religious turmoil in England. Mm. Um, his reign has literally changed uh, the church of the state uh, even if it it hasn't actually altered most people's Catholic preferences Yes, Um, and it is extremely impolitic like you're going to get beheaded in politic um, to be admitting uh, that you are leaning in a way that the king is not leaning. Yes. Everyone is blowing the same way that the wind is blowing and the wind is the king. But to move on to the topic of, of reform, the, we have to be clear what the current point is. It's easy to think that Henry VIII, by introducing um, the king as the head of the church and by, and by dissolving the monasteries as he did, that he transformed England overnight into a Protestant nation. This isn't true. This is not true at all. England in 1547 is not England in 1690. The people of England are not going to be welcoming uh, Protestant monarchs from abroad simply because they are scared of the Catholics. That said, uh, England in 1553, the year of Edward VI's death, is certainly significantly closer to England in 1690. Let's, let's, Let's 
bring it on back a little bit. Uh, let's, let's bring it back to where we were. So we were having this, they have the conversation a few days later after Edward is proclaimed king, but not crowned king. The Regency Council sits. Um, the internal political battle is won. Uh, Seymour um, gains uh, control of uh, the Regency Council in terms of support from it. That said, um, and this is a key thing for this period of Edward VI's history, um, even before he is fully crowned, uh, Seymour makes two crucial moves more uh, to gain... uh, Well, honestly, he gains almost equivalent power to being the head of the church. He is basically the king, except for the fact that he isn't called king. And so we think people seem to think he was like he people seem to treat him like he was almost king anyway. Um, he's he's proclaimed protector, Lord Protector, on the 1st of 15, uh, February 1547. This is even before Edward's actually formally crowned. Um, at the same time Edward's proclaimed king. Um, and the other key move he makes, and this is quite a manipulative one from an uncle to a a, a young nephew Uh, he manipulates Edward uh, into giving him letters patent uh, after he's after Edward's crowned um, in March the main ramification of that action is essentially gives uh, Seymour carte blanche to ignore the Privy Council yes It, it, it makes him an autocrat he's essentially given the king's authority to govern in the king's name. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that in this, at the same time, he has, or at least short, shortly afterwards, he gains the power to um, add and remove members of said council. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which... Well, I mean, by, by, this, by this point, even though he, he can, uh, he doesn't need no. to. But by, by the 19th of March... So, Henry VIII died, just to give you some context. Henry VIII dies on the 28th of January, 1547. By the 19th of March, 1547, um, Edward Seymour, uh, Seymour, with the help of William Paget, uh, has completely overridden the terms of his will and gained control of England in Albany. Less than two months. Yes. And he is relatively popular at this point. He is relatively popular. And that's an interesting thing. We're talking about... Um, Edward uh, as if he's uh, the, uh, to use a, a current political reference, the Kim Jong-un of <laughs> Tudor England. That's not really no. the case. Um, at least that's not how they see him. This is quite a natural mm-hmm. progression um, given the age of mm-hmm. the king. Um, in fact, it, it could be argued that um, for the kingdom to function well, mm-hmm. as opposed to just function, um, uh, let's put it this way. Um, Henry was somewhat delusional before his death um, d- due to the, the nature of his death. Um, and a 16-man Regency Council attempting to govern the entirety of England when all of them have controlling stakes. It's completely impractical. It's completely structure. impractical. It, the will is written like a temporary document. It, it even has clauses for dealing with future wives, future children... And the idea of Henry dying in battle. None of these things were immediately likely. It was clearly a will written, possibly even signed very close to, to Henry's death, that Henry didn't think he was going to need uh, right now, and that he was going to have to rewrite it. So 
it doesn't have provisions for it doesn't really prepare at all for the concept of England without a king uh, mm. who is of age to rule no. and it, it it essentially by using this document as the will Henry was declaring open yes and who, there are who people in li- who would have lived through the Wars of the Roses and could remember the turmoil that the country went through before the Tudors came to power. Nobody wants to return to those, that era. The massive, massive bloodshed. In fact, um, even uh, Edward himself um, would have been afraid of uh, things like the Cornish uprisings mm. happening again. Um, it would have been on most of the kingdom's mind uh, that the last thing they want is another succession yes. crisis. So Edward taking power... T- Tudor government and the, the Tudor style of government has so far relied on a strong monarch with relatively strong and clever advisors to guide his hand. And at this point in time, what we have is a boy king. And, well, the counts... A smart boy. Yes, for his age, certainly... For his age. And well-tutored, but... Indeed. Tutored tutored by some of the best academics of the age. In fact, um, it's worth, uh, at this point, um, now that uh, Seymour has taken power uh, and Edward has been crowned king, it's worth uh, rewinding time a little bit. Um, Edward's early life is interesting and important because he lived so little. Mm-hmm. Um, so his decisions he made during his, during his reign would have been directly shaped by his early mm-hmm. life so um he's indirectly responsible for his mother's death jane by seymour. jane dying in childbirth or shortly after childbirth well, she she dies 11 days later it's probable that it was postnatal complications um henry is mm-hmm. stricken um he he writes to the king of france um saying that um his uh happiness and delight at having a, a, a child who is a male heir is tempered by the bitter cup that he has to drink mm-hmm. from, that is Jane's death. Um, he is welcomed with joy uh, by the populace. Like, every account we have indicates, and he, even even going by the normal biases that um, accounts of royal births tend to have, like, there was much rejoicing <laughs> and weeping, etc. Um it's pretty clear that Edward's birth is uh, a mm-hmm. relief to a lot of Tudor society because it means that Hen- Henry has a direct uh, line yeah. of succession. Um, it's worth noting, talking about the succession, um, that uh, both uh, Elizabeth and Mary at this point have been disqualified. Yes, succeeding. initially. And it's not just because they're women. But by the time Henry <laughs> dies... The will will specify, and his well, his succession act will specify mm. the order should go Edward, and then Mary, and then Elizabeth, um, and, and then is very only then after if Elizabeth's line goes extinct, should the should the line go back as far to the Greys, who have a light a slight claim through uh, Henry's uh, sister. Not that they won't try and. <laughs> well, we'll come to that. <laughs> Inflate it as big mm. as a balloon. So, going back to Edward, mm-hmm. uh, he he grows up. Uh, he is a pampered, uh, but not necessarily particularly spoilt mm-hmm. child uh, by most accounts. Um, he is, and this is uh, one of the points we need to discuss. Um, he is not prone to sickness, 
but there is a scare at one point. He gets something called Quarten mm. Fever, which is basically malaria, but you get fevers in three-day cycles, mm. um, which gives the kingdom a big scare. Um, he recovers, though, um, and it certainly doesn't seem to be the case that, that the popular image of him is, is of a, a pale, sickly king um, who uh, was honestly dying yeah. on his standing up. But... Uh, standing up he, he's, his life, but no, he's, he's only really ill in that that incident and also uh, in the last six months of his life um and getting diseases like that in, in tudor england uh, honestly pretty yes normal. especially when children were younger um you know infant mortality rates obviously a lot higher than today hmm i mean he's got better food and better treatment obviously because he's a royal but it's still pretty par for the course so um until he's six uh he's brought up by someone called sir william sydney um who's a military veteran uh he was at the field of the cloth and he's a tournament enthusiast he was at the field of the cloth of gold um with king henry um and he has been to war in france and scotland um and was knighted uh for his uh fighting in france uh and has retired um to the uh country uh, and is therefore the head of the royal mm-hmm. household. Um, he wouldn't have been brought up by King Henry. Like, the father-son aspect just would have mostly been absent. Like, they they would have corresponded, as we alluded to in the beginning of um, the this this recording, but um, it, it wasn't familial. They were king and prince rather than... Yeah, and 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 that's important. Edward, I think, himself says in his uh, journal um, that he was brought up amongst the women. He he's not completely surrounded by women. He's got he's got a stern sort of veteran as his mm-hmm. head of household, and he has he has some childhood friends who are men. But you're right, and it's interesting. And we're going to come back to um, uh, Edward has his own perspective on things. He is a, he is a. Despite his age, he's quite a smart mm-hmm. individual. Um, uh, he also writes, and this is astounding. I work in a primary school. Uh, I deal with children of Ed- King Edward's age uh, all the time. And the idea of uh, any of our nine-year-olds uh, writing a, a journal of their life known as the, his chronicle. <laughs> um, yeah. for, I mean, don't get me wrong. He doesn't put particularly... Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's, it's not... <laughs> But it's not a diary either. So people, no, it, it it's is. He writes it's it like a history book. He he's he's very matter of fact. He I believe he even writes in the third person, um, mm. and he writes very in very detailed fashion about historical things he thinks are histor- important historical events like battles and wars. He describes detail, but it's never about his personal feelings or how he thinks about things. It's not his. Like diary, it's it's a it's a chronicle. It's a it's a historical piece, and as you say, for a per, a, ki- a kid of his age, it's uh, is impressive. But and it's important as well uh, to point out that part of the reason he writes it like that is because uh, a lot of accounts uh, that talk about him uh, indicate that uh, he was possessed of a, a feeling of duty. Mm. Um, he he was the only male heir, um, and uh when his sisters visit him uh his relationship with his sisters uh, elizabeth and mary is interesting um he talks about who he likes <laughs> best in his letters um but he also makes judgments right. on them 
like uh, he he tells he he tells Mary that he wishes uh, that uh, she would stop going to all these parties <laughs> and wearing these yeah. fancy dresses. I think Edward is quite <laughs> um, a religious child. Even I mean, we only really see hmm, him in his minority. That, that's another so important aspect of his. He is basically a child for most of it, but it's his short life. But he's a child. He's a child. He's a child that's very much raised uh, in this new. Uh, this changed yes. religion he, um, that has only come about very recently and he's surrounded by and taught by um, fanatical uh, for the most part fanatical adherents yeah, yeah. So, moving on from sorry, Edward's yeah. early life I guess um, he is obviously educated by these uh, prominent Protestant reformers and that does shape his uh, character and I think it shapes a lot of the early focuses, focuses of his reign um, we see um, we see major religious reform uh, in the form of altering the Book of Common Prayer, the uh, order of service for a twice. indeed twice uh, in in major ways. It's important to note that Henry had not really altered the service, um, the mass. Um, he had dissolved the monasteries. Yes, he had made himself head of the church. Yes, but he hadn't really touched a lot of the um, details. Um, and the Protestant reformist mm. faction were very keen to emphasise things like the fact that the um, bread and wine does not literally turn into the body and blood of Christ. The yes, um, yeah. and uh, to be clear, also, um, it's not like Edward doesn't continue Henry's efforts. He, he, Edward is. It is religious, and he does care about, uh, like you say, the uh, aspects of the mass and the liturgy and so forth. Um, but and he, indeed, there's a I have a list later of uh, the various important things he does in that regard. But he still, uh, particularly after the pushing of Cranmer, um, continues the desolation of the chantries. Mm-hmm. Uh, he continues um, uh, repurposing and uh, confiscating even property from the archbishops and giving it mm-hmm. to the lay people. Um, I've I've read a couple of sources that we might put in the chat about how um, uh, by the end of it, by the end of Edward's reign, uh, the church is significantly defunded mm. and and uh, almost disenfranchised in some ways uh, in comparison to um, how it was at the beginning of his reign. Uh, he accomplishes more in those years than Henry yeah. accomplishes in his entire reign. Um, and it's not even and... just his actions. Sometimes it's just a case of turning a blind eye to things like iconoclasm, yeah. you know, the mass smashing of uh, or, or seizure of church of chalices although, and, and crosses. Although, to be um, fair to Edward, there wasn't a great deal he could do. About true, that. but I don't think there's any evidence he wanted to either. <laughs> um, no, no, he didn't. Um, he didn't. By, by, and that's worth mentioning is for all that he's brought up by these tutors, um, because he makes a lot of these changes in his lifetime uh, originally he is still mostly brought up a catholic um so he does make a young but conscious change towards protestantism at the prompting of his tutors as opposed to being just completely brainwashed yeah i mean he is brought up in henry's church you know he's brought it's not like it's not like he doesn't have other... Co- yeah, but at that point, Henry's church has barely Yeah, changed. exactly. So he is brought up in the, in this sort of uh, high church Protestant Pseudo kind of Catholic. semi-Protestant Catholic church. So so he would have experienced and gone to mass in the more traditional style. Um, and he then yes, rejects. So there's definitely a conscious change there. A fairly influenced change, but a conscious one. 
there are a couple of other points I think are, are important to say about his early life before he becomes king. He's betrothed before he becomes mm. king. Um, he's betrothed to the seven-month-old yes. Mary Queen of Scots um, on the first of July, fifteen forty-three. This literally provokes a war with Scotland. Yes, uh, um, nicknamed the Rough Wooing. In <laughs> indeed. Uh, which takes its name from uh, a couple of places, but I particularly like uh, William Patton's uh, I do not like this wooing, uh, said after uh, the Battle of Solway Moss, where the Scottish forces had been utterly yes. routed. And a war which will involve um, many massacres and many towns being burned. It involves England being a horrible aggressor. Not particularly and, romantic. Uh, <laughs> new... <laughs> No, rough wooing is probably a nice way of putting it, if I'm perfectly honest. Bitterly sarcastic gallows humour. Um, so that that's important. Um, but also, uh, the other thing is... Um, his, so, his mother dies 11, 11 days after him. So, his actual mother that he experiences, uh, in a sense, is Catherine Parr. Yes. Uh, Henry's next wife um, and he by all accounts seems to have a decent relationship with her um, like he writes letters to her as well and in comparison to the letters to Mary or Elizabeth um, he, he speaks highly of her and writes letters much like he writes letters mm-hmm. to Henry um, and uh, interestingly she never gets regency over him she's a bit pissed <laughs> off about that but we'll, mm. we'll come back to that as well 